Welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits, my friends. Glad that you are here today listening, and I'm grateful, as always, to be able to speak a little truth into your life. Special welcome to those of you that are first-time tuners, enters. Um, You found us somehow. It could have been on social media links, or it could have been a recommendation, or it could have just been a suggested a podcast based on your other podcast. I don't know how you found us, but we're grateful. Mavericks and Misfits is fairly meat and potatoes, pretty simple. Um, I'm just a word and spirit guy who likes to help people in their journeys with Jesus. I've been a local uh, church leader since uh, 1996, vocationally, and um, just really thrilled that God allowed me to do that with my life. I'm not dead yet, and I'm not done yet, but um, so for the majority, more than half of my um, adult life, uh, really more than half my life, I've been um, engaged in, in ministry, and I've seen some things and learned some things, um, a lot of it by my own mistakes, uh, some of it because of poor teaching early on in my Christian journey. And so what's happened to me year after year, decade after decade, going on three decades now, um, has been this willingness to look at everything through a biblical lens to the best of my God-given ability and, and assess whether or not these instances, these beliefs, these practices, these philosophies, these vision statements, do, do they really have any moorings, any anchors in the revelation that God gives us in Scripture? Are we being who we're supposed to be, or have we bought into, um, through ignorance, bought into a a facsimile of what God says a Christian should be or a church should be or the church should be. And um, Mavericks and Misfits is just one mode by which we're able to communicate that. And I hope you'll continue to tune in. Um, I want to talk to you today about something that really just kind of sprung out of nowhere. Several weeks ago, um, I was really just feeling this pull, um, probably because I was studying, I was wrapping up a study on King David at Caneo Ministry Training Center for my year four class. And there was a portion of David's life that honestly, I just didn't get to teach because we didn't have enough weeks in that particular portion of the semester to do a comprehensive study of David's life. And, um, so what's cool is I'm actually simultaneously been teaching the life of David on Wednesday nights at Antioch outpost. So what I didn't get to cover in Caneo, I can do a more thorough job, uh, without time limits and constraints about when I got to get done of doing that at Antioch Outpost. And so um, part of what I didn't get to teach in Caneo on David's life is a very actually significant season for David. And it's his, his dealings with his rebel son, Absalom. And most of you that are familiar with the life of David, you know that his third born son was Absalom and Absalom um, attempted to uh, attempted a coup to overthrow the throne of his father, David. And he stands as um, an example of the dangers of operating in a spirit that does not welcome you to submit to God-ordained authority. Um, It is, in essence, a rebel spirit, but it's more than that. And Absalom's character and personality and what he did in the Bible um, is reflective of a spirit that now works in people uh, that are among Christians. Um, This happens in churches. This happens in businesses. This happens in families. What am I talking about? It's a rebellious spirit by somebody who's not been given a position of leadership by God, and they have a desire to lead. They may even have some gifts to lead, 
but they don't have permission from God to be the first chair leader or the primary leader in a family, a church, or an organization, but they don't care. (laughs) They want to be that guy. They want to be that leader. But the problem is, is there's a David on the throne that's getting in their way. And so um, when I posted a few weeks ago on just, I don't know, five or six paragraphs on a fairly long Facebook post on my page, um, the feedback was actually incredible. I got a lot of private messages about that, and especially from uh, pastors and leaders in churches saying, hey, man, can you unpack this a little bit further? So I want to do that today on this episode of Mavericks and Misfits. I'm going to call it the Absalom spirit and, you know, charismatics, and I am one um, unapologetically. I'm a a Holy Spirit man, believe in the gifts of the spirit, but also believe in the written word of God. And so I try to frame up everything that I do in the spirit the best that I can by um, staying anchored in the word, the written word. So I'm a word and spirit guy. And, uh, you know, is is charismatics want to make everything, you know, when we're not operating in wisdom, we want to make everything a spirit. And so when I use that phrase, the spirit of Absalom, um, I want you to know that it could very well, when this spirit manifests, it could be actually, and frequently is, a demonic spirit using a person in the ways that I'm about to describe to you. Now, that I'm leaving room also for the per- possibility that this can be done almost in a parallel way without an active demonic presence. It can be flesh. It could be that a person that is seemingly acting in the Amazon, Amazon, the Absalom spirit, um, is not necessarily in cooperative, uh, partnership with a demon, but they could just be fleshly in such a way that they, they look like an Absalom. Um, I have found this, that in my experience, and I'll share a couple properly in this podcast, um, my experience with people that are Absaloms in the church primarily, that's where I've seen it in the church. Uh, people that are Absaloms have no idea that they're Absaloms. They actually think they're doing the right thing, just like Absalom did. And they think, well, my rebellion is justified. I'm going to have to remove or get in, in the space of the person who is in that primary leadership role. I, I need to get in that place because I do a much better job. And for the glory of God and the good of all these people who need me, I've got to work to get that person off the throne or out of the pastor's office, or off the board, however you want to want to say it, but they they justify their rebellion by saying, "Well, God knows He needs me in that position, so I'm going to have to do some dirty work." And um, there's a whole lot of self righteousness on Absalom's, a whole lot of pride, a whole lot of presumption, and uh, most of the time the Absaloms don't see it. And as with the story of Absalom in the Bible. Ultimately, the end result for persons that are using, operating with the Absalom spirit, um, it's not a good ending. And so this is not like a happy story, but I think it's very edifying. I think it's actually very important. Um, You're going to see more and more of this kind of spirit operating in the church the closer we get to the end of the age. Um, It is, of course, um, a spirit of rebellion. And um, you and I have to be aware that it's out there. And we have to make sure it never gets in us. So the story of Absalom is primarily told in 2 Samuel 13 um, and kind of winds up in 2 Samuel 18 when Absalom dies. So we're, we're talking through the book of 2 Samuel and uh, chapters 13 through 18. After the birth of Samuel, excuse me, after the birth of Absalom in 2 Samuel um, 
it, it doesn't say much until he is much older. And there's a couple of things that I think are noteworthy. Um, ultimately, when you get to 2 Samuel 13, around verse 23, you're going to find out that Absalom did not trust God uh, as he should have with David. Who was David? David was Absalom's father. He was also the leader of the nation. He's also the king. And you find out that Absalom just never really trusted God to appropriately um, use his father. And because he did not trust God with David, and he definitely didn't trust David, there came a situation in their family. It was heinous. It was terrible. What am I talking about? Well, Absalom's half-brother, the firstborn of David, firstborn son, um, his name was Amnon. And Amnon, um, it's terribly tragic, but raped his half-sister, David's daughter, whose name was Tamar. Amnon raped his half-sister, who was the full sister of Absalom. So David had, had many wives, had a lot of concubines and stuff. But um, So we've got, we've got Amnon, the firstborn son, raping his half-sister Tamar, who was Absalom's full sister. And you know what? David did nothing about it. David did nothing about it. And Absalom, I believe that is when Absalom decided, this man is incompetent. My father is a terrible leader. My father let my half-brother get away with this terrible violation of my sister. And so as Absalom kind of ministered to Tamar after the rape, um, he just kind of sat on it for a minute waiting for David to do something. David never did. And then Absalom's heart changed after that. And everything from that point forward, you see Absalom uh, working against David's authority as a father, as the king, as the leader. So a lot of times an Absalom spirit um, takes root in a person because they're offended with leadership. They are resentful towards leadership. They disagree with the manner in which the leader, and when it's in a church, I'll, I'll, I'll just use the word pastor, it's the, whoever the primary leader is in a church, a person with an Absalom spirit at some point made up their mind, this person's incompetent. This person doesn't handle things the way they need to be handled. This leader is not doing his or her job. I do not like the way they're leading. And that little seed of bitterness takes root in their heart. And it becomes frustration too, because um, most people operating under the Absalom spirit initially know there's nothing they can do about the leader because God put that leader in the position that the Absalom spirited person wants. The Absalom wants the throne. The Absalom wants to rule. The Absalom wants a chance to do what he or she feels like they were born to do. They want to lead, but the problem is there's a David on the throne and, and that David is in the way. And so as you go further, when, when Absalom decided to avenge his sister Tamar, what did he do? Well, he killed Amnon, the rapist. And you can feel whatever you want to feel about that. It sounds like justice in the sense of, you know, God didn't let Amnon get away with it. I don't think God condoned Absalom's murder, um, uh, Absalom's murder of Amnon. But ultimately, the rapist dies, and David is grieved that Absalom, his son, killed Amnon, the firstborn son. And so Absalom goes on the run. And so he is a fugitive for years. And in 2 Samuel 14, you're going to find out that having been rejected by David, his father, um, and again, Absalom was refused to be in David's presence for two years. 
So in other words, Absalom fled. Then he comes back to the, to the, to the area and David sends word. I don't want to see Absalom in my presence. You can let him live in the land, but don't bring my son into my presence. So that already further intensifies uh, Absalom's orphan spirit, his, his sense of rejection, his sense of uh, being misunderstood. Nobody appreciates me. I did what you wouldn't do, dad or King David. I, I did what you wouldn't do. I had to enact justice because you were too blind or too slow or too fearful to do it. I did the right thing. You didn't do it. And I'm telling you what, you're not fit to lead. He's already carrying that in his heart because of his personal grievance against his father, David. And so, so Absalom's back in the land, but David says, I don't want to see his face. And that goes on for two years. And so the, the wounds there um, have, have, are now putting distance between this grown son of David, Absalom, and David the father. And so when um, eventually Absalom is allowed to come back before David and outwardly he honors David, he bows before David. Uh, there is a sense of restoration, at least a formality of restoration, because Absalom is no longer banished from the presence of his father, but the relational damage has been done. Uh, David has no interest in Absalom at this point, other than a fondness that he carries in his heart, but um, there's no real reattachment relationally, and Absalom picks up on that. So Absalom's being treated with formality by his dad, which only intensifies the hurt, the wound, and the anger, and the resentment. And finally, he's like, I got nothing to lose. My father's never going to honor me as a son. My father's never going to use me in the ways that I could be used. I have gifts. I have leadership abilities, but my father does not value me. And so what happens is Absalom, when he's not receiving value from the leader, when he's not receiving value from his father, when he's not receiving value from the king, he goes out and says, I'm going to create my own value system. If I can't receive value, if my father won't give me value, if the leader won't give me value, I'll go and do things that other people will value me for. And so this is when he begins a four-year period. Now get this, in 2 Samuel 15, it says Absalom spent four years intentionally promoting himself in the city gates of Israel. And Absalom, he wins favor with all of the people. He manipulated them. And he did it by forecasting all these great things that he could do for them if only he were the man in power. If only I was the appointed judge, I could help all of you. But alas, my father has not given me that. Man, I wish I could be the leader. So it's very manipulative. It's very kind of um, covert. It's, kind of, it's not overt rebellion at this point. It's manipulation by seasoning the people's thinking, by proving his value for four years at the city gates while he's winning the people into himself. And it actually says that in 2 Samuel 15, 6. It says, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. You know, David's kind of distanced. David isn't an everyday man. David's not out at the city gates. They can't see David. They can't get an audience with David. It's very much like senior leadership in a church. Some of, let me pause here for a minute. Some of you need to realize that you probably can't reasonably expect to have constant access to the primary leader in your church. And it's not because he or she's in an ivory tower somewhere. It's because their duties demand that they be sequestered as those that are needing to hear from God, pray to God, and receive vision and instruction and even strategy from God. So the primary leader in a church is not going to usually be as accessible to you. That typically, I would put that in the category of apostolic and prophetic leadership in a church. They need to be with God, hearing God, seeing God, and then leading the entire flock, not managing one-on-one -on -one situations nonstop at the city gates, so to speak. 
So the danger is this is where an Absalom spirit flourishes because what they say is, man, I know you can't get an audience with the pastor. You can't get an audience with the apostle, but you know what? I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Listen, it's all about me connecting with you relationally. And listen, you know, pastor's got a job to do. Apostle's got a job to do, but I'm here for you. So let's talk. I, I can help you. And so for four years, Absalom did that. And people do that in the church today. They just kind of drop hints about why, you know, the pastor or the leader is failing and not exactly who he should be. But don't you worry, because God has me here for you. And I want to tell you whether that that Absalom spirited person knows it or not, but they're actually cooperating with the enemy. They're migrating through manipulation. They're trying to get themselves in a position of um, being highly needed, very necessary. And so they do that through manipulating the people. And Absalom stole the hearts of the men, men of Israel. So as he's doing that, he's got an agenda. The agenda is not just to be popular. The agenda is to become king. The agenda is to get rid of David off the throne. David, his father, David, the leader, David, the king. But Absalom has now won the favor of the people. The only thing he doesn't have is the formality of the throne. And David's not going to give him the throne. God's definitely not giving Absalom the throne. That's what's amazing. And Absalom is forced to promote themselves because God won't promote an Absalom. God will never open the door for an Absalom to have kingdom authority because an Absalom is unblessable in his or her leadership. Why? Because it's centered in self. It's centered in what I want, what I can do, what I could offer the people. There's a sense of that other leader is in the way. So there's bitterness towards the, or at least resentment towards the existing leader. And there's also within the heart lurking this little toxic thing called self-promotion. And so now Absalom's looking around. He's like, man, these, these people, there's enough of these people that believe in me. I've won their hearts. These people believe in me. You know what? I think if I just made it official and started working my way to the throne, I think I got a lot of people that'll back me and we can get this man out of the, the throne room. We can get David, my dad off of the throne and I'll be the king. And man, that is the essence of the Absalom spirit. I want the place of leadership. I want to be listened to. I want to have the final decisions. I want people to know I am the leader. And the problem is, is I got this other person that's in the way. So how do I get rid of that person? And, and again, took four years of manipulation to gain the alliance. Absaloms are always trying to forge alliances. They're always trying to win loyalty. They're always trying to make themselves essential in the lives of others. And then when the time comes, they have to pull the trigger and they have to say, okay, the last thing is to get the person that's in leadership that God has appointed. Now, they never think it that way. Matter of fact, they'll tell themselves that God is using me to bring down this ungodly leader because God wants me to be the leader and I am a better qualified person to lead. But in essence, they're actually fighting God because God put that person in leadership. When God's done with that person, God will remove the person. But an Absalom cannot wait on God because he or she knows God is never going to promote them. I have to do it myself. That's what Absalom says. And so what did, what did Absalom do in the life of David? He forms this strategic alliance with David's chief counselor, a man named Ahithophel. And Ahithophel, by the way, was already primed to get rid of David because you don't know this, but Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. So Ahithophel had this nursing grudge about what David did to his granddaughter. And when Absalom says, okay, Ahithophel, I'm ready to make this move. Let's get rid of David, but I need your loyalty. Ahithophel says, you got it. 
I've been waiting to get away from King David. I will attach myself to you. So there's rebellion there and they create a plan towards this moment when Absalom and his allies would officially seek to take the throne away from David, his father. Now, let me just tell you this before, before all this came to a head, there's, there's probably one verse that'll tell you everything you need to know about the Absalom spirited person. So remember this, 2 Samuel 18, 18. I'm going to actually read the verse. 2 Samuel 18, 18 gives us pretty much everything we need to know in one verse about the Absalom spirit that operated, yes, in Absalom. He was in his flesh. But that whatever that is, is, is offered in, in demonic strategy to people in modern days. And here's the core of it. It says in 2 Samuel 18, 18, now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar that is in the King's Valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. So right there, you see, Absalom's like, I got to be remembered. I got to be important. I got to have a legacy. I don't want people to ever forget about me. He says, I've got no son to keep my name in remembrance. And so he sets for himself up a pillar, a monument, an idol, a statue. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 18, 18, he called the pillar after his own name. He called it Absalom's monument. And it's called that even to the time where 2 Samuel was being written. So there you go. What does an Absalom want to do? They want to create a monument unto themselves. They can be narcissistic, but they're heavily deceived and deceiving. They literally think they're doing the right thing. But they want to be remembered. They want to be known. They want to be valued. And it's high focus, highly focused on position. It's highly focused on outward honor. It's highly focused on being recognized by people as being the man, the leader, the key person. And because God will never promote them, they have no choice but to build monuments unto themselves to act in manipulation and try to tear down the very people that God has established in those leadership positions. Now, I want to pause here because I've only got a few more minutes, but let me tell you this. Be real careful not to assume that this could never be in your heart, especially you that are serious about the kingdom, you that are serious about things being done the right way. You that are serious about, um, you know, qualifications of leadership, you that are serious in your expectation that leaders be the kind of leaders they should be. You have to be really careful that in your zeal for things to be done right, you're not overstepping bounds, that you're not secretly, inwardly, maybe subtly crafting something in your heart that says, man, that leader's in the way. If we could only get that leader out of the way, man, I think I can do a better job than that leader, but he's in the way. She's in the way. I need to, I need to test the waters a little bit. Let me minister to the people because Absalom's will always respond to the complaints of carnal people in the church. Absalom's love to be the understanding person, the listening ear, the shoulder to cry on, the sympathetic heart, the one who can calmly listen to the complaints about the existing leadership and say, you know what? I see what you're saying. I feel for you on that. Let me pray for you. I'm, I'm here for you. You just got to be real careful that that never becomes you because man, it is a deadly pathway. People don't understand this. I don't think I did when I was young and, um, 
I've had to learn it the hard way from the side of being typically for the last, I don't know what year is this, for the last 21 years I've been in a lead position, first chair position in pretty much every ministry that I've been in. And I, I could not believe that there were actually people whose agenda was to get me out of my leadership position so they could have it. I was shocked. I was like, you mean this stuff happens? Oh my goodness, does it happen? Um, I've gone through at least three iterations of being uh, the target of an Absalom's war. And what's interesting is the three individuals that kind of spearheaded those three different instances. And they were, let's see, they, the, the first one would have, would, was probably five, five years after I became um, senior leader, senior pastor at Meadow Baptist church. Um, and it was an amazing, this, this was a friend, a friend who became a foe because he hated the fact that I had the primary leadership and he struggled with it immensely, even told me so. And it ended disastrously. And then there was another one again by another friend, a guy who could never see me as the primary leader because he was there when I first got saved and he did exactly he used his influence. If anybody, he was probably the number one guy that acted as an Absalom in my life and he didn't know it. I think to this day, he had no idea that the spirit he was operating under. And then that happened again many years later in a different situation where it was a different person who had a group of people and the mastery of forming an alliance to overthrow. Like I was shocked the first two times, but on the third time I was just, I was like, God, this is wrong. Teach me how to respond to this thing. And what's amazing is these were not people that hated God. (laughs) These were people that were absolutely convinced they were doing the right thing and they were that blind. And so the reason why I'm offering this to you is you need to be careful to always keep your heart in a posture that is right with God concerning the leaders he has placed over you. There is spiritual authority in the kingdom. A lot of people hate that because we live in a a world of anarchy right now where nobody wants to be governed. Nobody wants to be led. Nobody wants to be accountable. But God has established human authority in pretty much every sphere of society. And, the, and he has also established human authority in the church. And you don't have to like everything that human leader does. You don't have to sign off on it. But I'm going to tell you, if you're in constant disagreement with the leaders that God has placed over you in the body of Christ, and you're in constant disagreement, you, there's two things I would have you consider. The first one is this. Maybe you don't need to be under that person's leadership if you're constantly at odds with them. Maybe it's a really bad fit. And the second thing could be if you're usually at odds with leaders and you're always finding yourself frustrated and resentful towards leaders and you're constantly um, like down on them, maybe the problem is you. Maybe it's your heart. Maybe it's it's that you you are resentful and bitter because and maybe you're actually upset with God because God gave a position or an opportunity to a person that you feel better qualified to have and he didn't give it to you and you can't fight God. Therefore, you fight the leader. Maybe it's you. So you want to keep a, a close watch on your own heart with that. Some of you are leaders and you're dealing with an Absalom spirit. And um, I'm going to tell you, um, it is a life changing lesson because you can't fight flesh with flesh and you have to, in a certain sense, you have to protect the flock because Absalom spirited people will destroy a church. It'll destroy them. 
And so you got to be very wise about knowing when to be gentle and turning the other cheek and patient and kind and meekness, uh, instructing those that oppose themselves. There is a place for that, but there are also times where you have to say enough is enough and you expose the Absalom by name. You may have to tell the entire church or at least your leadership, your co-leaders, your board, your elders, your deacons, whatever it is. You have to tell them this person is operating in a destructive, subversive spirit that is undermining the authority that God has established in this house. And by the way, when you do that, they're going to tell you you're insecure. They're going to tell you you're, you're a control freak. They're going to tell you all this stuff. Because what's funny is they're allowed to do what they're allowed to do in their mind, but you're not allowed to respond with firmness and strength and decisive leadership. And as soon as you do that, they're going to say, see, he's controlling. See, he's got to have it his way. See, he's unteachable. See, he's not humble. And, and, and it's just such a system that they worked that it's kind of what goes on in the culture today. It's like the victim mentality. You can't hold me accountable because I feel victimized by you. You can't hold me accountable. Don't talk to me about my bad behavior. Don't talk to me about my sinful ways. Don't talk to me because you're an unsafe person. You make me feel unsafe. And therefore I get to do whatever I want because you're bad. It's just nonsense. And so if you're a leader dealing with an Absalom spirit, my encouragement to you is deal with it. It does not get better on its own. Like it only grows and an Absalom will always be working to forge alliances with other always. They never work alone and they will try to get your Ahithophel. Who is that? One of David's most trusted, closest companions and allies. And once they get one person that's close to you, then they feel like they've got advantage and they do what Absalom did. And that was to start a coup. So here's how it ends for Absalom. Um, and again, you can read all of this second Samuel 13 through really 2 Samuel 14 through 2 Samuel 18. But so Absalom goes ahead and he forges the alliance. He blows the trumpet. He listens to the council. He humiliates his father by sleeping with David's concubines on the roof and so that everybody would know Absalom has taken the throne. He's even got David's women, which would have been a sign back then to say, oh, no turning back. And so David flees the city. And then there is um, a bit of some guerrilla warfare between uh, David's men. He had, did have some loyal people that went with him as he fled the city. Absalom takes the throne. And um, ultimately, there's war between Absalom's camp and David's camp. And Absalom is experiencing defeat because God will never promote an Absalom and will work to bring an unrepented Absalom down. It will happen. And so Absalom's riding on a donkey as he's fleeing from David's people. Um, Absalom had really, he's known for having one, he's known for being very good looking. The Bible describes him as more handsome than anybody. And he had really long, long, long and thick, thick hair. And that was, that was kind of his glory. His glory was, I am good looking. I am charismatic. I am persuasive. I can help you. I can lead the people. It was all external. He was much more like Saul than he was David. And so when he's fleeing on this donkey, his hair gets caught in some branches of a tree that he's riding under and snatches him up off of the donkey. And the Bible says he's hanging there suspended between earth and the sky. And that's in 2 Samuel 18. And it's very interesting to me. I'll just make this point. It's interesting that the thing that was his glory and pride, his hair, is the thing that tripped him up. It, he self-sabotaged. When you live for your glory, you're going to die without glory. And that's exactly what happened to Absalom. So he's hanging there in the air and ultimately Joab, David's field general, um, kills Absalom, thrust him through three times with three different javelins, kills him right there. Merry Christmas, right? Happy birthday. Really happy thoughts there. But here's where I'm going. The end of the story for an Absalom is terrible. 
Absalom had his moment of glory, but he had to fight with everything just to get that momentary feeling of sitting on the throne and getting that position of leadership. And God said, well, I'll let you sit on it for about 20 seconds and now you're going to die. That's exactly what happened. So ultimately, God takes care of the Absaloms. And that's why I never want to be one. I never want to fight for a position. I never want to demand. I never want to resent somebody that God has um, elevated over me or before me or instead of me. And fortunately, I'm just saying today, and this has not been a struggle, I'm happy to see people get advanced. I'm well aware there are many people far more gifted than I am. I just try to do what God's told me to do. And when God's done with me, he can move me out. And I will try my very best to discern that moment and obey it when it arrives. I will not fight for me. I will fight for the flock and the people that I lead. I will fight for the overall good um, principles of the word of God. Um, I will fight with weapons of spiritual warfare. But this is not about me and it's not about you. And if you've got an Absalom in your life, God will bring that Absalom down as long as you respond towards the throne. As long as you get on your face and stay humble. You have to let God fight some of your battles. And then there are other times where God says, I'm going to fight this battle, but I'm going to use you. It's time for you to give pushback against the Absalom in your life. And um, I will just say this. The Absalom spirit, I'm seeing it grow. It's growing with the anger in the culture and the anarchy in the culture, and it's starting to hit churches. And I would just say this, God is still the same. When he places a person in a position of authority and leadership in the church and anoints that person, you and I would do well to not lift a hand against that anointed, appointed person. If they're in the wrong, you have the weapons of your own warfare. Pray that God would remove them. But most of the time, especially in the context of an Absalom spirit. Um, it is a spirit of resentment and rebellion that gives a person permission to act in ways that are opposite of the ways of God so that that offended person, that resentful person can take and seize that position that they feel like they are entitled to. And what ends up happening, their glory suspends them in a tree between heaven and earth and they don't farewell. So that's a heavy duty kind of podcast today. Hope you'll consider it. I would say inspect your heart. Look at your heart. Okay. Make sure that you are um, honoring the Lord and honoring those whom God has established. And if you're going through a season where an Absalom has been after you or you're seeing now, oh, that's what that was back in the day, then now you're better equipped for it if it ever comes again. The month of July is open registration for Caneo Ministry Training Center. If you want to be a better steward of your own spiritual journey, your own education, your own training, join me and the staff at Caneo Ministry Training Center. It's the four-year Bible college that I lead in or I help lead and uh, would really love to have you consider joining up and registering. We keep your degree program very affordable. It's very flexible. You can work at your own time. And for some of you, it's just time to get that degree that you always wanted. But more importantly, it's time to get very well equipped for the kingdom and the wars that are coming, the debates, the conflicts, but also to bring honor, praise, and glory to God. You have to know him. And the more deeply you know him, the more greatly you are able to exalt him and bless him and make his name famous. So I want to encourage you to go to Kineo, K-I-N-E-O, Kineo, M-T-C, KineoMTC.com. 
and check out the registration links all during the month of July. Open registration for the 2023-2024 school year, and it's going to be a fantastic one. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.